Praise God. Beautiful weather. Like I said last week, mothers, thank you because you guys bring the sunshine. We haven't had a gloomy day just yet since Mother's Day. Uh, so praise God for that. Uh, we are jumping in to this next sermon in this series that is titled, Let's Talk About. And in this series, it's been, uh, we've been kind of going through some uh, mental um, wellness topics. We've been covering emotional topics. Um, we've talked about just emotions in general. Uh, we went on ahead and we talked about anxiety last week. And today I want to go on ahead and get into another um, very important topic. And so what we're going to be talking about today is we're going to talk about anger. Let's talk about anger. How many people are ready to talk about anger this morning? All right. You know, it's a blessing even to be a part of a church who is willing to talk about some of these topics. Sometimes we can kind of shy away from them, but they're so important. So what I want to do with you right now is I want to know, um, at this moment, do any of you know anyone uh, who may be just a bit angry uh, in this season? If you do, raise your hand. Thanks, Holy Spirit. If you do, all right, that's good. <laughs> some are raising others' hands. <laughs> the reality is, church, it's crazy out there. Uh, you know, you know me, I'm a transparent pastor. I, I try not to hide anything. I tell you what it is. It is crazy out there. And the reality is, if you didn't raise your hand and you don't know anyone that's angry right now, the good news is that most likely you're probably not on Facebook or, or, or Twitter uh, or any of those things because when you start looking at that and the comments and the, the back and forth that is happening there, uh, what happens is you start to quickly realize that this is uh, not just one of the craziest seasons in our lifetime, but one of the angriest times uh, in recent memory that we're experiencing right now. And so I'm curious, uh, are any of you, cause just because you raised your hand, I, I, the question was, do you know anyone? But now I'm asking, you don't have to raise your hand on this, uh, are any of you battling with the feeling of anger? Are any of you guys kind of battling with that? Are any of you guys just easily agitated? What do you do with these feelings? When you think of Jesus, when I think of Jesus, I often think of him being loving, right? When we think about Jesus. And what I want to do today is I want to just kind of bring the topic of anger and show you Jesus. And some of you guys are saying, wait a minute, but that's completely opposite, because when we think about Jesus, we think about him being compassionate, right? Let's be real. You think about Jesus, you have that memory in your mind, just like the, your grandmother had that picture of Jesus walking very nicely with his hair nice and, and, and straight, holding that, that, that baby lamb or, 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 or whatever it was. We think of Jesus being full of grace, and all of those things are right. All of those things are absolutely true, are, are absolutely true, but did you know, and I, most of you probably do know, but did you know that Jesus actually also got angry? Jesus got angry. And when he did get angry, this is very important here. When he did get angry, he got angry in a way that honored God. Some of you are saying, wait, I, I didn't know those two things went together. I thought they were both like, like, like water and oil. Jesus showed us, he exemplified in the Bible that 
it is possible to be angry, but to be angry in a way in which honors God. A lot of us think of anger and we're just, you know, we got that frown. But let's do this for just for fun really quick before we jump in today. I want everyone here to smile. When everyone smiles, let's see those big grins. If you're watching us on Facebook Live, I can't see you smiling, but you could type in that, hey, I'm smiling, or go on ahead and put that smiling emoji on there. Now keep smiling. And while you're smiling, now what I want you to do is I want you to chuckle. Do a little chuckle like, ha you know. Come on, let's put a smile on that face like Joker said. All right? I don't care if it's fake. Just do it. All right? Uh, it's very simple, the reason why I'm having you do this, because I want, what I want you to do is I want you to remember that it may be rough out there. Right? It may be difficult out there. But there's still many reasons in which you can find joy. Although the world seems chaotic, Although there's multiple reasons why we should be angry, but the reality is that there are still many reasons to still find joy. There are lots of reasons to still smile. There are plenty of reasons to still be grateful. And I want to be grateful that we have an example in the Son of God, who is Jesus, in which he shows us how to be angry, but to be angry in a way that does honor God. You know, one of the questions that sometimes not only I get, but many Christ followers get about anger is, hey, pastor, is it a sin to be angry? Is it a sin to be angry? Like, if I get angry, does God get angry at me? If I get angry, does God get upset at me because I've broken his law? And the, the answer is very clear. The answer is very clear here in the Bible, and that is that it is not a sin to be angry. And you can quote me on that if you like. Here's the issue. Anger can very quickly lead to unproductive and very destructive sin. You see that? It's not necessarily the emotion of being angry. It's what the emotion of being angry can lead you to. That's a sin. The emotion of anger itself isn't a sin unless it leads you to do something that is wrong. I think you'd probably agree that there's a lot of sinful anger out in the world today. All you got to do is turn on the news and see there's a lot of sinful anger in the world today. But we learn in Scripture, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 26, that it's not actually a sin to be angry. As a matter of fact, this is what it says. It says, in your anger, what does it say? Do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let your anger lead you to do something that would be inappropriate. And then he says something that might speak to some angry people here today. He says this, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while, while you're still angry. We've heard that a lot, especially, especially in couples, right? Couples, you guys, you guys throw this around all the time. And, and, but it's a practice in which we really need to, 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 to take into, into action, put into action. It says, don't harbor bitterness in your soul. You guys know anybody that's doing that right now? 
You don't have to point the finger at them. But the reality is that this is happening everywhere. He goes on ahead and he says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. What we're saying right here, a lot of you guys have heard. Do not give the devil a foothold. The word in the Greek for foothold, it means a place or it means a room. In other words, don't give the devil a place or room. If you can imagine that you're trying to keep out evil out of your house, right? But you leave the door cracked open, and that's what anger does. And the devil can come inside that crack and just put his foot right there inside of the door so that he can have access to whatever is happening in your house. The reality is that that could be a part of the reason why many marriages are struggling right now. And that's because they've left a foothold for the devil with some anger in their marriage that hasn't been really resolved. That could be why so many friendships are hurting today. Because people are letting their their anger drive them to sin. It could be that if you're not careful, your unrighteous anger could actually compromise your witness. Did you know that? And then your efforts to make a difference for something that really does matter. Your anger might lead you to a sinful behavior that ends up compromising your ability to make a difference for the very thing that you care for most. You can really care about, maybe it's the ministry, maybe it's what you believe in, whatever the case is. But, you, but, but your anger is so distracting to others that they say, hey, man, you can't be really about what you say you're about because you are showing me something else with this anger. In your anger, what the Bible tells us, don't sin. Be very careful not to give the devil a foothold. And to show you exactly what I'm talking about when Jesus went on ahead and got angry, We're going to take you to the book of Matthew, chapter 21. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. And you can, I'm just going to go briefly through some things. You can read the whole story on your own. We'll have the verses up on the screen. But Matthew, chapter 21, is actually a time in which Jesus goes on ahead and he gets angry. Before we jump in, I want to give you a little bit of of context for where we're going to be reading through today. You see, Jesus, what was happening at this time, he was entering into Jerusalem right before the season of Passover. Now, during Passover, if you can imagine, this is when, when everybody was that was, you know, maybe outside of the city, wherever it was, this is when everybody would come, you know, like Easter, when everybody comes, you know, to churches and fills churches all over the world. This was the same thing. Everyone was coming, but the temple was there. So they were coming to, to, get, to offer their, their sacrifices and all that type of stuff. The, the, uh, uh, some of the scholars said that at that time, there would probably have been a quarter of a million people or so inside that, 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 that area of Jerusalem. And to understand Jesus' mindset, what I want you to also know is that this was going to be the last week of Jesus' life. And he knew it. He knew it. This was the last five days before he was going to give his life. So listen, as I'm reading this, if you feel like, man, Jesus is a little uptight, well, you should kind of understand. Because he knew what was coming. And Jesus, the Son of God, 
who never sinned, he goes on ahead and he walks up into this temple during the season of Passover. And what he saw absolutely broke his heart. And it made him righteously angry. angry. See, unrighteously, uh, unrighteous anger is, is that anger that you're mad. Maybe it's for a good reason. Maybe it's for no good reason, but you're mad and it's leading you towards sin. Is leading you to think angry thoughts. Man, I hope that person dies. Man, I hope this person learns his lesson. Man, I hope that everything that this person wants for themselves, none of it comes true. Oh, you know what? I'm going to pay back what he did to me. See, these are those type of actions in which the emotions of anger leads us towards sin. We're going to call that, we're going to label that for the sake of this, of this sermon, unrighteous sin. But back into the temple, what Jesus sees, it breaks his heart, and it made him righteously angry. What did Jesus see? We'll read it a little bit. But Jesus sees greed. Jesus sees hypocrisy. Jesus sees abuse. He saw all this misuse of his father's house. So Jesus did something out of the ordinary for Jesus, at least. Maybe not for some of us, but for Jesus. In his righteous anger, not a sinful anger, but in his righteous anger, you know what Jesus did? Jesus flipped over a table. Now, I thought about bringing a table and flipping it over, but I thought maybe it was going to scare some people. So I decided not to, but you could just imagine. Some of you guys say, you don't need to show me. I know what that looks like. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. Let's take a read. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. See, before this happens, Jesus is seeing this. He's seeing all this abuse. And what's happening is now these emotions, this hurt, all this stuff has, is, is stirring up in Jesus' heart. So he goes and he enters the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Verse 13. Then he goes on ahead and he gives them this sermon. He says, it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And then Matthew goes on ahead and he gives us this odd little sentence. Pretty much, it, it seems almost like it's completely out of context, to be honest with you. Kind of show, it kind of feels like, like Matthew's giving us two different stories at one time. We go from Jesus turning over tables to tur turning over benches and preaching a sermon about what it is that those people are doing wrong. And then Matthew tells us this in verse 14. Matthew is, is the one who, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. Matthew tells us this in verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. Did you, did you catch that? What would if that happened in the movie you were watching? You were like, wait a minute, did I miss a scene or something? Jesus is flipping over tables, telling them, hey, man, you're, 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 you're making my father's house a place that needs to be a place of prayer into a den of robbers. And by the way, he starts healing the sick. See, Jesus at this moment is righteously angry. He's showing them that this is wrong in a very unusual expression for Jesus, and then he's healing people at 
the same time. So what did Jesus do? Yeah, he actually turned over a table. And the reality is it's kind of dangerous for me to tell you this, but I kind of wish that he didn't do that. Oh, I only say that because I'm preaching on how to curb your anger, and Jesus is flipping tables. Because I hope I didn't have to say that because some of you have turned over too many tables as well. And what I want you to recognize is this, though, and that's that Jesus was not characterized by his anger. He did get angry, but it wasn't often. It wasn't like Matthew is writing here. Yeah, this was the fourth table that Jesus had turned in a week. And you should have seen what he did to that Pharisee who mouthed, who, who mouthed him off. You should have seen what Jesus did to him. No, we, we don't see that here. Jesus wasn't characterized by his anger. In fact, what we do know about Jesus is that Jesus was known for his love, not for his anger. And so when you think about Jesus, the first thing that you think about isn't, oh gosh, he's, righteous, he, he, he's righteously angry. You don't think that. The first thing you think about is that he loved the outcast, that he touched the leper that he forgave the sinner. Those are the things we think about when we think about Jesus. As I'm talking about this, this is a quick disclaimer that I want to let you guys know today, and that's that my goal, just so that you guys all know, is not to inspire you to go home and start flipping over some tables and look straight at your spouse and say, and say that'll teach you to, start to keep criticizing my cooking. That's not my goal here. What we want to do, though, is that when we're angry, we want to be angry, but in a way that does not discredit our witness of who we are. That when you get angry, that when you get upset over something, that it's over something that, 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 that should you should get angry about, but that you would do it in a way that doesn't discredit you as being a son or daughter of the living king. That when you are angry, that you would, it would reflect in a way that doesn't hurt your relationship. That it wouldn't be in a way that would dishonor God. When we're angry, we want to be angry, but we don't want to sin. And I want to show you three specific things that we learn from Jesus as we dissect him being angry at this moment, at this time and how to be angry in a way that does honor God. And the first thing that we're going to see about Jesus' anger is this. I want you to notice that Jesus wasn't angry about what others did to him, but Jesus was angry on behalf of those who were mistreated. Jesus wasn't angry about what others did to him. Jesus was angry on behalf of those who were mistreated. Jesus wasn't offended at what somebody said to him. Jesus wasn't offended at what somebody did to him, but his heart was breaking. His heart was breaking on the mistreatment of others. Do you guys think that Jesus was ever betrayed? Well, I have to think it. The Bible shows us, right? That's a clear yes. Do you think he was ever criticized? Of course. 
Do you think anybody was ever, as we say, hating on Jesus? Oh, man, you know they were, especially those Pharisees. Do you think he was ever unjustly persecuted? Absolutely. But if you'll notice, he never got angry when somebody criticized him. He didn't get angry when somebody disagreed with his view. Jesus didn't get angry when somebody posted something that he didn't like. Jesus got angry, you want to know when? When others were hurting. Jesus got angry when others were hurting. And it might be wise to do what we call an audit, uh, an anger audit right now. Because it's really easy to think, man, somebody, somebody, I know somebody that needs to be listening to this message. Oh, man, I wish this person was here to listen to this. It's very easy to do that. But I want you to do right now, what I want you to do is do an anger audit on yourself. I want you to look at your own heart at this moment, and I want you to ask yourself, what is it that makes me angry nowadays? In this season of my life, what is it that makes me angry? Ask yourself, what is it, what is it that you're carrying? Why, why is it that you're carrying this grudge? If you're, if, you're, if you're carrying a grudge, why is it that you're carrying that grudge? Ask yourself, what is it that is easily agitating me during this season of my life? Why is it or what is it that, that, that you're finding yourself at, at certain times being extra critical maybe of a person or maybe of a group of people or maybe even a little bit hateful when you should be loving? Ask yourself that. Analyze your heart right now. Maybe do a little bit of an anger audit and, and, and check with your own heart at this moment. And let me just be really, really clear. And that is that when somebody hurts you, Let's say that they lie to you, or they mistreat you, or they gossip to you, or they betray you. And I think we've all have been there at one point or another. It's obviously very natural to get upset. It's an emotion. We get upset. That's the first thing that happens. We get upset. It's a natural response to, to get angry. But the good news is this, church, and that is that we're not just bound to a natural world, but we follow a supernatural God who invites us to do something that goes beyond that which is natural, but instead what is supernatural. And scripture actually is really clear to those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ that when somebody wrongs us, we're called not to revenge. That when somebody wrongs us, we're not to hate those who curse us. But we are to bless them and to forgive them. You see, I think that's why Jesus didn't get angry when people did all of these negative things to him. Because he understood this. He practiced this. He applied this to his life. And when you do that, you can, you can stop wasting negative energy on dealing with all of that baggage and start focusing on using that anger for things that are righteous. For things that ought to have our attention, for things that ought to, to, to uh, kind of get us angry as a body of Jesus Christ. Let's not forget that. That we are to forgive those who do wrong against us. How do we forgive those who wrong us? 
And believe me, I'm just like you. I'm just like you. People take shots at me. People hurt me. And everything in me wants to stand up. Everything in me wants to fight back. Everything in me wants to be angry. And I, 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 and I feel justified in my anger. But how do I forgive someone who hurts me? Well, Scripture teaches us that we forgive just as Christ has forgiven us. Listen, man, if you're having a child, and I'm just telling you this here because a lot of us, we're angry because people have hurt us. But listen, all that, the only thing that puts me in check right away when I want to feel justified in my anger because someone has wronged me, the only thing that puts me in check is, man, I have to forgive because I need to be forgiven. I have to forgive because I have been forgiven. How dare I not forgive someone who has hurt me, but yet I am at the altar on my knees praying and asking God to forgive me for all of my shortcomings. It doesn't go both ways. Or it goes both ways. It's just not one way. We expect forgiveness from God. You know we've got some ugly. If we expect forgiveness from God from that ugly, we better be willing to forgive. Scripture tells us that. So at any time, if I find myself, or if you find yourself angry for weeks at a time, months at a time, some, some people years at a time over something that someone did to you, or didn't do to you, or said to you, or didn't say to you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, at some point, at some point, my brother, my sister, you have to go to God and you have to ask for healing in your heart. And let the Holy Spirit do the work to help you to be able to forgive just as you have been forgiven. Amen? So when we look at Jesus, he wasn't angry about the people or what the people did to him or said about him. He wasn't angry at this entire group of people. He was angry at those who dishonored his father's house and mistreated some people. And if you don't know the details of this story, I'll tell you, he went in, he turned the, he turned the, the, the money changers' tables over, and the money changers, they were the people that would go on ahead and exchange the currency so that they would have the proper currency at the, at the temple. You see, because people were coming from all different parts of, uh, of that area. Not everybody had the same currency. It's almost like when you go to a foreign country. You ever been to a foreign country and you've got your American dollars, but you really can't use your American dollars maybe over there? So you go and they kind of switch off the, uh, they'll give you their pesos or whatever it is, uh, whatever they call them. And, and, and now you have, you've exchanged your money, your American money, for the money that is being accepted there. But they don't do that for free. They, they, they upcharge you a little bit. They're charging you a fee for that. That's what was happening with these money changers, except they weren't charging a reasonable rate. They were marking up the cost to exchange the currency by a whole lot. They were, what, what was happening is these money changers were taking advantage of some of these people that didn't have the money. You see, because many people would go into the temple to do these type of uh, sacrifices and all these things, they, they would bring their own means. They would bring maybe their own animals because, you know, maybe they were wealthy and they had land and they, they would bring grains. Whatever it is, they would bring. But some people didn't have that. 
Some people didn't have the luxury of bringing things for the sacrifice or for the atonement or anything like that. So what they would have to do is that they would go to this temple and they would see, uh, make, exchange their, 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 their currency so that now they can go on ahead and buy doves. Now the doves, they, were, they would sell them in two, and the doves would eventually be what they would use to, 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 to do the sacrifice. Remember I taught you guys that without the forgiveness of, 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 or without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So before Jesus goes on ahead and becomes that ultimate sacrifice for us on the cross and sheds his blood to cover the multitudes of our sin, what they were doing at the time is they would take animals and they would sacrifice the animals, the, the, the blood from the animals, were, were, were kind of a temporary atonement for their sin. That was just a signal of, okay, look, God has forgiven me up to this point. So some of the people that didn't have the money or, or, or didn't have the means to bring their own animals or whatever, they had to go to the temple and they had to buy them. But even these, the people were ripping off the, the, the less fortunate. They said, oh, yeah, we'll sell you two doves and we're going to sell it to you at three times the price, four times the price. In a nutshell, these people were taking advantage and they were making a whole lot of money out of this situation. They're like, hey, man, it's the season of Passover. All these people are going to be coming. We can make bank. You know how when you go to a concert or to a sporting event, you know how across the street at the gas station you can buy a, a, a water for a dollar, but inside there you got to pay a dollar? It's the same thing. It's highway robbery, man. This is exactly what it was that these people were doing in the temple. One commentary describes it this way. It says, two doves on the street might cost about four pence. That's the way they, they described it. When you got inside the temple, they would raise the price up to 70 pence. That's a big, big difference. And some of these people didn't have that. They didn't have that money, but yet they wanted to go and they wanted to worship God. They wanted to go and provide the, the, the atonements and things of that, of that sort for their sin. Some of the people didn't have these resources to go out ahead and worship God. Because listen, to worship God wasn't the way worship we worship God here where we play music. And some of us even maybe have an issue with that song or that song or whatever the case is. Worshiping God at that moment really, and really what it still means is, is to, 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 to give a sacrifice to God. To sacrifice. When we sacrifice something to God, that is a form of how we worship God. That's why when Anthony talks about the offerings and the tithes, he says, well, now we're going to do a different form of worship. Because now we're, we're, we're doing a sacrifice. We're sacrificing from what we have, and we're giving it to God. And so some of these people, it's Passover. They want to worship God. They want to provide the sacrifice. They want to follow all the rules that had been, had been put in place in this old covenant but yet, they're being robbed. Some of them probably can't even go into the temple because they're like, man, I bring four pence for those two doves, but, you, but they're asking for 70. I can't afford that, so I'm going to have to go back home. Jesus didn't like that. Are you kind of understanding why Jesus had that anger now, that righteous anger, why, he, why it is that he was upset, why he was angry? He wasn't angry over what someone did to him or said to him. Jesus was angry on behalf of those who were mistreated. So if you're going to be angry, that, this is a pretty justifiable reason to be angry. To be angry because people are being mistreated. The second thing that we see here 
from Jesus when Jesus got angry is this. He flipped tables. He didn't flip people. Jesus, when Jesus got angry, he flipped tables. He didn't flip people. And somebody needs to hear this today. He didn't flip anybody off. He didn't punch anybody. He didn't cuss anybody out. Something I read said this. It said, and I'm going to just read it here. It says that the table in many ways could have represented the system that supported the hypocrisy or the mistreatment. It was on the table that the misdealings were being were, were consistently hurting those that didn't have the resources to go into the temple and worship. Those people were actually dictating who got to go into worship and who didn't. In other words, show me the money, you're in. You don't got the money, you're out. And so when he turned the table, if you think about it in this way, the way this, this person wrote this, he, he disrupted the system that perpetrated the injustice. Now, I want us to be wise, though, and I want us to be careful because the truth is that whenever we feel strongly about something, it's so easily it's so easy to go on ahead and translate our perspective into a righteous posture, right? Sometimes, you know, we feel strongly about something so much that, that it, we automatically assume and make it right in our heart and in, and in our, our, our minds. Because this makes me angry that I must be righteously angry, some of us start thinking. But just because we feel strongly about something, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're right. But we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. We've got to take our time and really assess the situation. Now, the truth is so many people in their effort to be right have forgotten one important thing. And that is that when you, in our effort to be right, we also have to be loving. And a lot of us have forgotten that. The Apostle Paul, he's the one that said, and, and, and let me know if I'm right here or if I'm wrong, and now these three, main, these three remain, remember that? Faith, hope, and being right. And the greatest of these is being right. No? I'm glad I'm your pastor. You make me proud. Because if everyone would have agreed with me, I would have took off my mic and just resigned. <laughs> no. He went on ahead and he said this. He said, now of these three remain faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Now, let's make sure, church, that when we're angry, that we don't let that anger convert to unrighteous anger that justifies unloving behavior. You see, because our goal as Christians is not just to be right. Our goal as Christ followers is to always be loving. Jesus flipped tables, but he didn't flip people. And so how, as Christ followers, can we be righteously angry? How? How? First of all, we're not going to make things personal. Man, can we do that, please? Can we start to apply that principle in our life, not to, say, to make things personal, personal? You know, people lose sleep. Because they make things personal. You know, the side of the, so many of the side effects of anger, it's almost like when I was talking about anxiety. People lose sleep. People 
have lost marriages. They have lost jobs. Don't make things personal. So many people have been angry, have anger in their heart because of what somebody is kind of a, a certain situation that you you decided to take very, very personal, and, and, and it has now grown roots in your heart. Don't take things personal. We're going to be angry. We're going to be angry. We're going to be angry on behalf of others. We're not going to flip people. We're, instead, maybe we'll flip some tables. But the third thing that we see about Jesus is that when Jesus got angry, he loved and he healed those who were hurting. When Jesus got angry, he loved and healed those who were hurting. Let's take a quick, or, or let's just think back really quickly to, to our story. Who was it that couldn't get into the temple to worship? It was the poor. It was the marginalized. It was the blind. It was, it was the sick. It was the lame. They didn't have the resources. So Jesus just didn't flip tables, but what he did is he helped the hurting and he healed the sick. Look at that. Some people couldn't get into the temple because they didn't have enough money of these people that were robbing them, but yet God himself in the form of flesh was there and said, come to me. I'll give you the good stuff. I'll give you what it is that you need, and you don't even need any of that now. He healed the sick right there in the middle of of his righteous anger. He wasn't just It wasn't just a a table-flipping moment, but it was a people-loving moment. You you, you could easily miss that when you're reading this story. Right away, we see Jesus flip a table, and we're like, man, he was upset. But he turns that into a people-loving moment. Look at that little part that I said that was kind of like almost, you know, it almost didn't even feel like it was part of the story. But Matthew Uh, made sure that we understood in the middle of his righteous anger that the Son of God still healed people. The blind and the lame, they came to Jesus at the temple. And what did he do? He didn't say, yeah, I'll charge you 20 bucks for that healing. Let me me give you four times the market. Let me charge you four times the market price for uh, healing a broken leg. No, he healed them. He healed them. I could only imagine the faces in the of those people, seeing Jesus doing this healing. In fact, if you look closely at the four Gospels, every time you see Jesus getting righteously angry, and he does when you really start to read them all, you won't see Jesus yelling. He never says, oh, man, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna to leave this church because nobody's going to treat me that way. He doesn't say that. Every time you see him get angry, you see him help someone. Every time you see him get righteously angry, you see him heal someone every single time. Read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you're going to see exactly that. So what do we do when we get angry? We love and we heal those who are hurting. Like I asked you in the beginning, how, how, are, you, how are you guys still doing, all right? You guys okay? Do we need to smile again? We need to do another chuckle exercise. Really quickly here, let's pretend for a moment that this story is happening now. I want to kind of bring this story a little bit to context of our culture now. Let's pretend that this story is happening right now 
Imagine what happens in our culture today if this situation happened, especially with everybody having their smartphones. I mean, fights break out. No one's breaking them up anymore. No one's calling the cops no more. Everyone's recording it live. Imagine, imagine this. When Jesus goes on ahead and he corrupt and he exposes the corrupt money changers, using it wrong, using it wrongly for, for profit, pretty much. Here's what's going to happen. I'll tell you what would happen in this culture. First of all, it's going to be a big news story. It's going to go viral. And the title is probably going to be Exposing the Corruption in the Church. It'll probably trend on Twitter, if many of you guys are familiar with, twi- with Twitter and things that are trending. Maybe it'll be hashtag, they kept the change. And then in our culture today, do you know what we're going to do as a society? We're going to do what those evil money changers had coming to them. You know what we're going to do? You ready for this? To those money changers, those evil people, we're going to cancel them. We're going to cancel them because that's what we do in this culture, right? We cancel them. Why? Because we love God and we're going to cancel those evil and corrupt people. Now, for those of you that are looking at me like, there's something right now that we call cancel culture. Not cancel culture, but cancel culture. And this is, if you don't know, let me tell you something. Some of you might be a pastor. I'm an old timer, man. You got to explain this to me because I'm a little lost right now. This is anytime, uh, pretty much generally, when someone that is well known, it could be an actor, it can be an athlete, it could be a politician, it could even be a business or whatever. Anytime someone says something, that goes contrary to the popular view, it could have been that it was said by accident. It could be said that someone had maybe misspoke. It could be that someone wasn't educated. It could be that maybe someone was just dead wrong in a specific area. But the moment someone famous or someone popular or well-known says or, or does something big, even someone that maybe is not necessarily as famous, what happens now is the culture, the people decide we're going to cancel them. It doesn't matter if they have been faithful. It doesn't matter if they've done good things for the last 20 years. But one statement, one misstep, one wrong and sinful perspective, and we cancel everything about them. That's the culture in which we are living in today. So I want you to think about for a minute about Jesus. Think about those who hurt him. You see, because Jesus at that moment, he's a, he's a star. Everyone knows Jesus at that, mo- at that time. But think about those who hurt him. Think about those who mistreated him. I'll give you a short list, and you know these. There was the Pharisees. There was Pontius Pilate. There was Herod. There was Judas. There was Peter. All of them who wronged Jesus. All of them who hurt Jesus. All who betrayed, who lied about who misjudged Jesus or whatever sinful treatment they had of Jesus. And you want to know what Jesus did? Did he cancel them? He didn't cancel them. He didn't cancel any of them. The Pharisees, they were wrong. Pilate was wrong. Harold was wrong. Judas and Peter, they were both wrong. But just because you're wrong doesn't mean you're getting canceled. 
So I'm so thankful. I don't know. I, I hope you are too, but I'm so thankful for a God who didn't cancel me. I'm thankful for a God who didn't cancel me when I did something wrong or when I do something wrong, when I sin against him. I'm glad and grateful that I have a God who doesn't cancel me. I'm thankful for a God who canceled my sin but didn't cancel me. He forgave me even when I sinned against him, and he continues to forgive me. And I don't know about you, but I'm evidence of the faithfulness and the love and the grace and the mercy of God who has every right to be angry at my sin. Listen, God has every right to be angry at the dumb things that we do sometimes. But instead, you know what he did? Instead, he poured out his anger on his son who was innocent on a cross and judged sin. And I'm so thankful for a God who canceled my sin but didn't cancel me. Amen? Paul says this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And with this, we're going to be ending. He said, for God, for God, and this is the second part of verse 13, for God forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In that way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Once again. God canceled my sin, but he didn't cancel me. And so who is Jesus? He's the son of God who came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come for the healthy. He says it. He came for the sick. He didn't come for the righteous. He came for the sinners. He came to show the love of God, the grace of God, and what made the son of God angry. What made him angry was anything that separated people from the love of his father. That's what it was. That's, that's how I can characterize what happened there that day. Is What made him angry was the thing, the very thing, the very people that were separating those people away from God. When you get angry, and you will, you will, church, when you get angry, don't sin. Let's grow beyond being easily offended and not get angry on behalf of ourselves. But when we do, let's use what it is that we have to help those that are in need. So if you do occasionally need to go on ahead and, and flip a table, flip a table, but don't flip the people. Because our goal is not to be right, remember? Our goal is to be loving. And I'm really thankful that we get angry about different injustices. There's some things happening in this world that, as the church of Jesus Christ, we should be angry about. We should. The beautiful thing is, as we get angry about those things, we don't now let it get, you know, grow resentment in our, in our hearts and, and make us start thinking all these evil. Oh, I, I wish that all these people would just drop dead. No, absolutely not. As we get angry for some of the injustices happening, you know what we need to do? We need to work together to solve the different problems. But when you're angry, don't sin. Because the reality is we live in a very, very divided world. The reality is some people that are sitting next to you right now, you have different views of uh, opinion than them. It's a very divided world. And you know what a very divided world needs? A very united church. 
And so what I'm hoping is that when we can be united, that our battle, remember this, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Remember, our battle is not against people. This is hard to see because why? The people is what is right in front of us. Our battle's against powers, the Bible says. Our battle's against principalities of this dark world. And so when we get angry, let's start by getting angry with our spiritual enemy, who the Bible says comes to steal, kill, kill, and destroy. Let's get angry with that. And let's, uh, uh, he comes to steal, kill, destroy, and to destroy lives day in and day out. And so may we be unified as the church of Jesus Christ, that we can be righteously angry together about some different things in a way that helps bring solutions to different things. But above, above all else, that we would be united in the mission to lead people to become, as we like to say here, fully devoted, fruitful followers of Jesus Christ. You see, because that's our highest calling. That's our mission, to go into the world, Jesus says, and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them what it is that we have learned from him. Jesus didn't say, above all else, be right with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, but to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. But we will get angry sometimes, as I said. But we're going to get angry like Jesus. You can write that down or you can make that a slogan. I'm going to get angry. But I'm going to get angry like Jesus. <laughs> Someone's going to look at you like, what? Let's get angry like Jesus. We're not going to be characterized by our anger, church. Come on, let's stop that foolishness. Let's be characterized by our love. And any time that we do get angry, whatever power we have, let's use that to bring hope and healing for those who are hurting. And that's how we can be angry like Jesus. Amen? I'm going to ask that you stand on your feet. Just close your eyes right there where you're at. Anger is an emotion. And I... I believe that God wired us a certain way. The Bible says that we were created in his image. We have certain emotions that are triggered by different things. Not necessarily are those emotions always bad, but like I said, it's what we do with those emotions that either are right or wrong. And so for some reason, God has given us the ability to fear, feel this emotion called anger. But right there where you're at, I want you to pray, and I want you to begin to ask God, God, maybe my perception of anger is off from what you have taught us. And what I want you to do is go before God and say, man, these things that typically make me angry, man, they're really foolish things. They're really things that are really, uh, maybe are, it's because I'm taking them personally. you're dealing with anger in your heart, but it's the anger that's unrighteous, that's making you feel not very well, you know what I mean. Take that to God right now. Take it to him right now. Listen, don't take it out of the doors of this church with you today. Say, God, 
and lift us up with faith. I lift us up to the, 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 this anger that I have inside me that's not a righteous anger. I'm not angry for, for justifiable things. I have all these emotions because of all these things that these people have done or said to me, whatever the case is. Lord, I lift this up to you because you don't want me being this way. You don't want me feeling this way. And give it to God. And as you're exchanging that with God, what I want you to say is, God, but please, please, please break my heart for what breaks your heart, God. God, give me, allow me to have this, this emotion of anger for things that anger you, God. And teach me and lead me and show me, instruct me how it is that you want me to display love in a loving way, how to stand up for these things that are making me angry. Help me be someone that exemplifies just what you did. And that is someone who walked around and gave truth, but he gave truth in love. May we be angry for certain righteous things, but do it and, 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 and display it in a loving way. Father, we come before you right now to get ready to dismiss today. I pray, Father, for your church right now, Lord. This is the, these topics that we're talking about, Lord, they, they're, they're very real. And they affect us in very real ways, God. Well, Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes, Father, to see, Father, to realize who it is that, that we are, who you designed us to be, Father God. Lord, that everything that we do, that we would do it in a righteous way. Father, that we would see some of these things that we struggle with, Lord, our emotions, anxiety, anger, all of these things, Father God, Lord, that we would see them and that we would go to your word, Lord, that we would go on ahead and, and kind of look at your word as a mirror, Father God. See what it is that you have to say about it, God. And teach us to walk in your ways. This is not easy. It, we, this doesn't get all fixed and we have everything together with just one, uh, one time, one moment, one prayer, God. But I do pray right now, Lord Jesus Christ, that you would put the hunger and the desire in the hearts of your people, Father God, Lord, to follow your word as it instructs us. And Lord, that we would bring up these emotions to you, God, that you would teach us how to navigate through each and every one of us. Church, as we get ready to dismiss, Father God, I, I come before you, and I, and I just ask, Lord, that you would be with your church, that you would be with your people, God, those that are away because they're ill or hurt or injured, Lord Jesus, I pray for them as well, God, but I pray, Lord, as we get ready to start uh, maybe just the rest of our weekend, Lord, or, or getting ready for our work week, our school week, whatever it is, Father God. Lord, that you would be with us. God, Lord, that you would stir our hearts for you, Lord. Lord, that you would allow us to remember, Lord, that you have called us to be the light of the world. You've called us to be the salt of this earth. You did not call us to blend in, but you've called us to stand out, God. Lord, that even in topics, in areas, Lord, where, where we, can, we, we, we can see people easily being angry over something, Lord, that we would display love. I leave you, church, with this blessing. May the Lord bless you. 
May the Lord keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you all. May the Lord be gracious unto you. And may the Lord give you peace. In Jesus' holy and mighty name, the church of God says amen. Amen, amen, church. God bless you. We love you. And we'll see you next week.